that Digital Society Podcast brings together leading journalists, politicos, and key policy influencers to explore the impact technological change is having in the UK and across the world. And it's hosted by Atos Senior Vice President for Strategy and Communications, Kulver cool Ranger. This podcast was recorded in December 2022. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Digital Society Podcast. And I am absolutely delighted to have my guest uh, for this uh, episode. I have to say, it feels almost like a miss that he hasn't been on the podcast already. Um, As a man who is no doubt a leader in the digital sphere in the UK, um, has had a a tremendous 30-year career, although he'll probably be embarrassed by me saying that, um, but has worked in uh, many organisations, including a significant amount of time at IBM, uh, looking after the public sector there and uh, uh, SMEs, which probably drove his interest in how major organisations of all kinds of sizes have been changing the digital landscape in the UK. But in recent times and through quite an extended period, has been the CEO and is the CEO uh, and leader of Tech UK, the largest trade body for the IT industry in the UK with over 800 members. Uh, and, and for full disclosure, I have to say, I also sit on your board. So yes. Julian, David, thank you very much for firstly accepting my invitation, which was probably a bit uh, uh, later than coming, but for joining me on this episode of the Digital Society podcast. No, it's, it's, it's great to be here, Corvia. Thank you very much. And uh, I, I always think waiting for good things is, uh, you know, <laughs> if I can uh, characterise this that way. Um, yes, it's, I mean, we've followed a lot of what you're doing in Atos, and I think it's very timely to have this conversation now about the digital society, because, you know, like, like many of our members, but particularly uh, things that you've done at Atos really do chime with what we think are the key things that need to happen in the UK to make digital work for all of the people in all of the places of the UK. Yeah, and, and look, we'll, we'll get into a bit of how we've worked together, but I think it because it's symptomatic of maybe the industry needing to engage, reach out a bit more, uh, look broader than how we might do in our own organisations, um, but also because of the challenges we've seen, and we've seen yeah. a lot just coming thick and fast uh, yes. in, in all kinds of environments. Yeah. But let's let's start with the one thing that always stands out to me when we talk about uh, the technology and the digital sector. So since 2015, the growth in the digital sector has been almost three times stronger than in the rest of the UK economy. Now that sentence has been spoken and repeated a lot over the years. Um, but particularly now, when we see and have seen the challenge of growth, the challenge of a tough economic climate emerging, uh, the challenge of what does the government and broader industry do to encourage greater growth. Julian, at a starting point, where do you see the industry in that conversation right now? So I think a couple of things are very uh, worth bearing in mind on this. And the first one is actually digital is every sector now. I mean, if you are not digital in any sector of the economy, any part of life, then you are not going to be productive. You're not going to to be able to grow. You may not even survive. And, you know, the pandemic illustrated that if it needed illustrating uh, 
in, intensely. But also, if you look around the world, which are the economies that are growing fast? It's the ones that have really embraced the digital economy and have industries that are taking advantage of that. You know, the, the, the clear examples of China and the US uh, where they have huge focus in both those very large economies, but also India growing really fast. What do you find at the heart of all of that growth? It's because they've become very strong in digital tech and the application of digital tech to other sectors within the economy. So it's really, really important, and it is a big enabler. Um, and of course, when you face tough times, and when you're trying to, uh, you know, become a leading economy yourself, you've got to be at the forefront of the adoption of digital. Yes, uh, well, I'm not going to argue with you on that. And uh, you're right about different geographies and the tremendous growth based on you know it just being pan sector and I was having only a conversation with a, a, a business chairman yesterday of, of a large FTSE business and uh, and he said so you know how do you see it across you know what's happening in your industry and I said I don't see it from my industry perspective yes. I see it from all the other industries yeah from your customers that's exactly. right because um, if you're in tech you're, you're in literally all industries whether that be healthcare uh, um, Financial services, manufacturing, defense, you know, retail, defense, public sector. You you see the broad gambit. So, but that also gives us us uh, as an industry, um, you as a leader of the trade body, that unique perspective across market sectors. Um, and how do you get to influence the thinking around the industries in those sectors? Because you've played a significant role in in informing the debate around policy and also governments thinking on this. So let, let's dig into that a little because that's part of the, a, a big challenge for a trade body like like yours. Yeah. You know, how do you get people to, how do you synthesize what's really important from industry, our industry, and then how do you get that message into government? And where's that been working for you recently? Right, so, I mean, the, the interesting thing, if you, if you think about a classic trade association, then they, they're very focused on their own members, their own industry. We're not like that, actually. We do obviously want our industry to thrive. So there are things that we engage in, in, in areas from telecom to data reform to you know um, implementation and skills and so on, but for our own consumption. But what is different about us is that perspective into other, other sectors, Corvia, and we run more about 11, of our programs are focused on the application of tech into other sectors of the economy and all the way through this we as the trade association all the staff we've got about 80 staff working uh, uh, in tech uk on behalf of members and all of the members and we actually we actually now over 900 members uh, uh, so uh-huh. We grew you a slightly old. I need to keep up that. with my board. Well, uh, no, no, I'm sure you got the brief from us, but but that illustrates the point, though, because more and more companies um, are coming to us saying, um, "Help us, uh, help our customers," and it's that thing about focusing on your customer. And if you focus on your customer and you talk about what your customers' problems are and the communities that your customer and you operate in, what are the challenges for them? Then you then you start to find the issues that matter and you start to find the answers. 
and the tech industry is full of answers now. Where you know you, you ask the question, I, I, we organised ourselves explicitly to focus on the application of tech for positive outcomes. So, and we have a strap line. You you you, you know us, Kilbia. So, we, you know we're fo- focused on the positive outcomes of tech, application of tech uh, for people, society, the economy, and the planet. And as soon as you start to think about that, then, of course, you're starting to ask the question, well, what, what is a benefit here? What is an outcome? And your members join in this. You know, the, the, the very short answer to your question is, where do, we, where do we get our insight? We get it from you and our other 900 members. Uh, you know, you're the guys applying stuff. You're trying to solve your customers and the community's problems. You're trying to grow business and, and, and give jobs to people. That's where we get the input. And, and, you know, I'm looking at my brief. It did say 100. So, but you're right. It is 900 now, which is great. But also a lot of uh, small to medium sized enterprises. Yeah. Yeah. More than 600. It's easy to get, you know, distracted by the big players like us at Atos. And, you know, we're, we're, we'll have a certain amount of weight in what we're saying. But, you know, that, that ecosystem that the industry relies on, probably more than many other industries, yeah. because innovation can't be. And I, I've been, an advocate of this no no business has all the answers yeah even if it likes to claim it does we all rely on working with a, a range of different sized businesses to bring the innovation that is not just innovation at a standpoint it's a continuous innovation because that's what the industry survives on the need for continuous innovation and that has to be agile that happens at different scale uh, and it's so fundamentally important so ha- those those SMEs because I know you've done a lot of work to bring in more SMEs into the yep. into the organisation as members. Well, as you can imagine, that you know the difference between 100 and 900 is mostly made up of smaller companies, um, and uh, it 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 is again it's two reasons why 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 are we bothered about them? As you say, often innovations start there. Now, I don't buy the argument though that only you know startups and new companies innovate because I know having worked for a large company and for small companies. Uh, large companies like Atos are great sources of innovation. So are you know our other large members, um, and but you need both. And the second thing is that if you start to look around the, the country and you look at where the balance of the customers are, they're in smaller businesses, and often the way uh, you know to address their challenges is through equally mid-sized or smaller companies. So, so those are the sort of major reasons why we do it. And I, I think if you are trying to be the voice of the industry, then you really have to try and, and represent it. And we, we have a very large footprint. We're chips to clicks, as we put it, uh, Kulvia. And, uh, <laughs> so, because we're trying to say hardware matters, basic research matters. That's where a lot of innovation comes in. You know, the, the whole business about the connectivity new technologies that 5G and beyond, these things really matter because they enable so much more. Software innovation matters. And also, of course, the fundamental transformation that, that has been brought about by the various evolutions of the internet. And, and obviously now we see that everybody moving to the cloud. Uh, all these things together are, are what we try to, to encompass so that we can actually build a digital Britain. Yeah, no, it, it, it's, it's really interesting, especially when you see it happening in day-to-day businesses, because it, you know, 
another conversation I was having with a, a chairman of a major retailer in the UK yesterday uh, and uh, their their view of they're an omni-channel retailer now you know they've, they've moved off you know yeah. whether they were high street yeah. or it was bricks and mortar and then it was bricks to clicks but it's omni-channel and and then he did quietly say to me but we still don't fully understand because it keeps it keeps changing and i said well that that you know no one probably fully understands it but it's an environment that is moving so quickly and the growth in it that it that is it's also exciting for people to be involved in yeah. you know you, you you want to be there where you're defining how things will change hopefully for the better and i always say you know um there's things we can do the question also we should ask we should do is is always a challenge but actually what we really need to think about is how do we take how do we make it so that everybody can do it it's yeah. not a can we should we but everybody can do it and i think the more we can include people that's where that sort of digital society label comes from but look there's also about you know as we were talking about influencing policy and uh, the influence that the the trade body has which is which is huge and i know i've seen it at work um but also you've launched well actually you've published again um a second incarnation yeah. of the local digital capital index yeah now I think this is a brilliant piece of work, but tell me, Julian, what, what is it? What is it doing? So look, what, what, what we did um, was we, we started to think about, you know, our industry specializes in disruption. It specializes in innovation, it specializes in the new. Um, and we started to, to, to actually ask the question, yeah, but, uh, and people say the future's here, but you know, is it here for everybody? And what does disruption mean in all sorts of places? And we are looking for hundreds of thousands of people to join our industry and its customers um, to work on these these new innovations that, that, that are for the good of everybody. Um, and where do we find them? So we so we thought, well, why don't we go around the country, go around the UK and, and actually ask people, um, you know, how is it for you? So we went on um, a whole series of, of conversations. Now, I imagine the old fashioned guy that I am, we'd, be, we'd all be in a sort of chartered minibus staying at Premier Lodges in various parts of the country. Uh, but actually it, it turned out it was the you know, start of the pandemic when we, when we were doing this, which gave it an additional twist. But it also meant we used our own technology. Uh, not ours, our industry's technology. So, so we were actually able to have really interesting conversations in all parts of the UK: Northern Ireland, Scotland, the Northeast, Northwest, you know, Midlands, uh, West of England, Wales, uh, and, and closer to, to London, but not just London. Um, and we asked them the questions: you know, what matters for you? And from that, all those dialogues with you know close to 100 people, I think, in total, from businesses, not talking to tech, but talking to people using tech, talking to people running communities, talking to health uh, uh, organisations, uh, talking to care organisations, local business communities, etc. What matters for, for you? And from that, we, we synthesised these seven characteristics that we and I won't list them, you know, you can find them on our website, but but these are the things that people said mattered in terms of building a digital economy. And we, and you can you can imagine some of the skills and its connectivity, but it's also the application of tech and it's, you know, some some more interesting things like uh, like research and development and trade, you know, how, how, what's your profile of actually doing international trade? You ask that question in some parts of the country and the answer is, well, don't really do it. You know, England is, is uh, most uh, 
promising overseas market, said the Scots, uh, you know, but to make a point. So what we then did was we said, well, if we can identify those things, can we measure them? And if we could measure them, can we then get smarter at interventions? Uh, and that's where the index came from. So we started this just in 12 sort of regions. That was the first iteration. And we said, that's not really good enough. It's not really an action point. Let's try and get to, to uh, places within the regions and cities within the regions as well. Not just cities, also, you know, the, the rural areas. Get, get more information, more granularity in Scotland because Glasgow, Edinburgh, the Highlands, very different. So that's what we did. And we now got 41 uh, places where we've now got data. And so, so what? Well, what we now want to do is two things. We want to say anybody trying to build a digital economy, central government, local government, regional government, organisations like Be The Business, um, other organisations focused on, you know, British Chambers of Commerce, all these people that are trying to make things better. Here's some information for you to work with. The second thing we want to do, and I do have to give a shout out to Atos here, is I want to get our members, you think about the, that 900 companies employing, you know, nearly 900,000 people, we think, in, in, uh, in and around the UK, but also with global resources, companies like yours and others have global resources as well. What difference could we make if we took something that you're able to do and we said, if you do it here in you know, outskirts of Manchester, or you do it here uh, in, the, in the Dorset, um, or you do it here in, in some parts of, of East Anglia or wherever, or you, know, you can make a real difference by doing that and we could measure that difference. So the game for us next year is to say, come on in to our members, particularly the smaller ones, by the way, because, you know, often they've got a core presence that, that can help businesses. Let's have a look at the seven things in this particular area. Which one do you think you can do something to improve or to build on? Yeah. Now, look, as I said, I, I think it's a tremendous piece of work, not just because it's providing that view, that lens uh, and that granularity that's specific. But uh, as you can imagine, with my other interest, I, I think actually it maps very well into some of the broader political agenda around levelling up. Yeah, uh, yeah and it does. Whatever we want to talk around about levelling up, I think, you know, the end emphasis about getting more growth around different parts of our country. Um, it, the only way you can really do it is with data about, well, what are you going to achieve? Yeah, because you exactly. have to make a business case. Exactly. And, you know, we, we, all these policies are fantastic and there's lots of potentially funding from government to support yeah. these things. But you well, want that funding to be targeted and yeah. mapped against some outcomes. We all want that. In business, we do that. We wouldn't yeah. fund an activity in our business without the outcomes clear defined and managed and, and then the, K the KPIs that you're going to look at in order to test have you got the outcome yes yeah so, absolutely so so I think that that's great and obviously you know we had started looking at this from a slightly different end of the spectrum you you were looking at the data and location we'd sort of come across a, an approach working with um, uh, our partner NSNI 
and they had been supporting uh, a place, Blackpool, in terms of its local yep. strategy. Blackpool, which has some of the most deprived wards uh, and areas in the country. And they had been looking at unlocking investment into Blackpool with a local yep. place-based organisation, Blackpool Pride of Place, working with business in the community, working with NSI and working with us. And you'd got this ecosystem of organisations that were focusing on Blackpool and then helped Blackpool. And we have achieved this. And I'm very proud of we as us have played a small part in doing it, but a lot of people have done this to unlock government yeah. funding for Blackpool yeah. with tangible actions and outcomes identified and what we're trying to achieve. And from our perspective, what we're trying to help do there is create a sustainable pipeline of digital skills. Yeah, because the reason yeah. we're there is because we're an employer in the region. We know we have jobs located there, but if we don't have that pipeline of skills coming through, those jobs may have to move. And what we don't want to do is actually move them. The whole point of levelling up is to create growth uh, and uh, economic environments in different parts of the country. But those will be underpinned by jobs which are underpinned by the right skills. And I know you're passionate about this and I know you, you, you've been driving a skills agenda for quite a while, Julian, and through Tech UK. But I yeah. think with the data that you're providing through the index, we can now also focus in. And that's why I think we're working together on what we're calling innovating up. Yes. Is how yes. can we identify other locations, city based, place based, where a couple of anchor employers or organizations like ourselves, it's not just us, there yeah, are other businesses, exactly. you know, and there's an ecosystem, large or small, can work with a place based organization like business in the community or others to help them get their plans right, get those applications into government and unlock the funding to develop the skills for that local area. So you've really, you, you know, when you and I talked about this earlier uh, and, and when you, you know, you started getting more involved with us in this, using that example, Colby, it was very powerful. That's exactly what I want all of our members to do uh, on whatever scale and with whatever of the seven, you know, things. Take a look at the seven things. Are you really good at helping people trade and trade internationally? Well, why don't you go and focus on this area where they seem to have a challenge in doing that? Are you based in a particular area and very interested, therefore, in the schools, in the further education colleges, you know, because your employees are sending their, their, their children to those, those places? Um, what can you do to, to help? And the answer is always, Every every company says we're doing this and we're doing this and we're doing because everybody you know knows this, but what hasn't happened in the past? And you asked about you know our interaction with government. The most disappointing thing in the past is there's not been a vision for this, COVID, and there is now, and there's quite a good white paper about leveling up. You know, it's not it's it's almost become non-political now in the sense that yeah. both part both the main parties and obviously. The, the Scottish and Welsh uh, and Northern Irish administrations, but passionately believe in this because you know they want their uh, uh, communities and countries to grow. Uh, they're all saying this is what we do, and there's a number of things they're starting to get. And so you know, I am optimistic. Uh, you've got to be, haven't you? But I am yes. because they're starting to talk seriously about devolution, what it means, yeah. and they're starting to look at organisational points in the country rather than. The sort of well, we'll just um, let everything be local. We'll just let local 
things happen. You can't really manage that. You need to have directed engagement, empowering the local people at a certain scale. And we think we probably got to that sort, you know, we think 41 or 50 points is probably where you can actually make meaningful stuff happen. And then let's talk about policy, because one of the things you've illustrated in your example is there is a lot of stuff that the government's trying to do. Most people don't even know how to get at it. You know, there's, there's a plethora of places to go. So, again, if if you if you have the vision, if you have the organizational point of, uh, of, of, of you know, focusing around devolved communities with a set of powers and a set of, you know, on a certain scale, but still local, and then you get business engaged. I, th you know, that just is such an obvious way to success. Yes, uh, uh, and and I think you're so right that you know good policy is become politically neutral. Uh, and not only that, I look at it through the lens of you know the the sort of regions I, I work in 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 Athos in Northern Europe and Asia. Yep. And part of this is on a global level, we have um, a huge skills shortage for what we are trying to achieve in nearly every market and nearly every sector and why there's a sort of cannibalization of, of uh, human yeah. capital that it used to be about labor arbitrage go where you could find people now it's not about go where you can find people it's go where you can actually find skills and who's yeah. got the skills pipeline yeah. so be that you know in in central europe or be that in india wherever it is you're looking for skills and so the question is, this policy is actually something or this approach, actually, forget about the policy side, the approach of getting organisations looking at place-based situations and working out how they can provide sustainable skills development for growth. I think it, it's going to be operating um, multinationally. And I know you have the European conversation as well, Jim, yeah. you represent, you know, the Tech UK and the European environment, um, because the, the, if if the fallout from the pandemic has been a sort of you know, a slight re-entrenchment in nationalism in terms of you know skills being required. It still plays into that as well because countries are looking at their own base and saying, how do we get sustainable around yeah. critical skills? Yeah. And yeah. what we found, and I actually I was very much in the conversation of um, critical workers when the pandemic was on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we had we to had make the case that, yeah. that a lot of our people who are running the data centers who are running making sure that those service desks and make sure those uh, utility supplier systems were working were critical workers and i think I it was a, a a penny drop moment for it, it, well, it, well, it was people. because every you know politicians have heard of the cloud corvier they actually think it is a cloud and you yes. have to actually explain to them no it's, it's yeah that's the concept and the and the architecture and the structure and the flexibility and so on but it's, it's you know actually there's a whole bunch of data centers there's a whole bunch of cables fiber optic cables there's a whole bunch of interconnectors there's a whole bunch of software there's a whole bunch of of power required you know all these things are physical things that live that exist somewhere that people need to support so that was i mean we had that conversation we it did. was very we interesting did. yeah but i also so, pick up on your point though in the international point because um, you know, the UK has to be global, you know, but we do have to have resilience and capability. And the biggest thing that we can do something about is the skills. It's you know, what are we famous for? Innovation, invention, uh, new ideas, adoption of, of things. 
lot of uh, community management things. We're very, you know, very famous for, for, for the way we do things in, in loads of ways. That's something that we need to be resilient in. We need to grow our own capabilities. And then why don't we, you know, we already export loads of services. We could actually export the whole concept of skills. You know, we could make all of our people much more digitally skilled and become uh, an export of digital services, digital people. Why not? Yes. Why? Why not? For what comes next, as you say, at Tech UK? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Another strap um, line of ours. <laughs> yes. Well, look, look we, we've covered quite a bit there. But is there, you know, what what else do you see? Because we obviously have not just in the UK, but globally, there are some challenging economic climate. Mm -hmm. uh, it is a challenging economic climate. Um, but what what gives you, you know, hope for optimism? And I know you're an optimist person. You've said it already. Yeah. But apart from this, gender, what else do you think is the optimistic side of what's going to get us through this tough climate that seems to be emerging at the moment? I think, you know, um, a lot of commentary is about the challenges that we've had, not just the UK, but but all countries. And and people portray that very much as, you know, a series of very bad things. And, and they are, you know, uh, or big disruptions. And you know, leave the politics aside, obviously changing your trading relationship from a 40-year membership of a particular group uh, is, is a big disruption. The pandemic, a huge disruption, climate change and the impact of that. And now, obviously, the, the war uh, uh, in Ukraine and the implications of that for geopolitics as well. But but what makes me so why are you optimistic in the, in the face of that, Julian? It's the obvious question. Well, the answer is because the biggest issue for me is short termism. It's not actually having consistent approaches to what really matters and investing in the things that are going to produce uh, benefit uh, growth but but sustainable growth you know then and they're not incompatible those things and what i do see from the shocks we've had and you may say well, well yeah, all the political turmoil yes but you start to see some consistent messaging in across the uk political landscape so you know we've already mentioned the fact that leveling up is is bipartisan now as a, as a concept devolution and the right structure for the uk seems to be on both sides it was referenced by the prime minister and you know the labor party's got people looking at this the right sort of uh, community building but also a number of things are now being talked about internationally and everybody's starting to focus on long-term problems are we doing as much as we can are we progressing as much as we could on some of the bigger issues like climate change no but we are focused on them. You know, if, uh, you, you reference the fact that I'm a veteran. <laughs> cool, well, thank you for that. Uh, and thank you for cutting a few years off and making it just 30. But, um, you know, go back 10, 20 years, people weren't looking at that. It was, you know, much more short termism. And you can say, all right, are people becoming more nationalistic? Well, I think they are, but in a realistic way, you know. Uh, and again, that, that, Big shocks like pandemics, like war, like climate change, they make people question, okay, we want we want to have resilience, but we also need friends. Yes. And yeah. we've all got a challenge. You know, you can't solve climate change by yourself. No, no I, I think you, you're absolutely right, Julian, that um, although 
when those shocks happen, people sort of the shutters come down almost, you know, so let's look after home base. But very quickly, you're right. You think we need to work with others. We need to have partnerships and, and, it, and it reestablishes itself um, through through not just necessity, but mm -hmm. actually because it's a better way sometimes of getting to the answer. So I think you're right. Uh, there's a there's a lot of I think positivity that will come out of these challenging times, hopefully, um, and and drive even more innovation in our industry. Um, Julian, it's been a riveting conversation. Uh, time's flown by. Yes. Um, and and normally, when as we come to conclude it, I ask two very specific questions. We're a bit more light touch. Go so on, brace then. yourself. <laughs> They're okay. not going to be too personal. But the first one is. Um, I, I always wonder nowadays because I think about news and digesting information and media. You know, it's been changed so much. How do you digest your media? What what are you what are you using? Are you still buying a newspaper? Do you or do you sort of is it is it apps? What what's your what's your main yeah. focus in terms of getting your information nowadays? It's online. Yeah, uh, it, it is online. But I do still like to read the Economist in hard copy and. Uh -huh. The evening standard that's largely because it's there when i get on the tube yes <laughs> but the economist uh, in hard copy is uh, is 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 a, is a sort of it's once a week and you need yes. to you know weekend sit sit with yeah. a cup of coffee or whatever and, and read through that but it's, it's the rest the of it's online and, yeah. and one of the things i do try to do is my own curation so choose the places I want to look. So I do go onto social media. I do follow uh, some interesting links and things there, but I also make sure I read, uh, you know, more established stuff. So, you know, so I do read the Times and the Guardian and the Financial Times and occasionally the Telegraph, but yeah. that, that's because the paywalls eventually, you know, you, you, run, you run out of money, don't you, at some point, but, but get different perspectives. Yeah, yeah, no, interesting. And, and I, I just asked that question of everyone because it's such a moving environment and yeah. you know where are you and most people are now getting bits from different areas that as you say curating their own news feeds if, if you don't do that you really do run the risk of really reinforcing things rather than challenging things and, yeah. and you know you need to challenge your thinking sometimes yeah yeah and and the final question and, and I'm not sure everyone has a different place where they land on this, is um, on a scale of one to ten, mm -hmm. where would you place yourself? Are you a technophobe? So, you know, d the latest gadgets, the latest kit, mm, you know, I'll wait. Or right at the other end of the spectrum, you're the first one in the queue when the latest upgrade of that well-known phone comes out or whatever it is, you know. Where do you where do you like where do you place yourself? And then you know, bearing in mind you head the biggest no. <laughs> technology trade body in the United Kingdom. Choose your answer carefully, Julian, yes. because it may come back to you. It's always good to get the latest thing. <laughs> no, look, um, I, I think the point about technology is what do you want to use it for, and what suits you, what suits you and you know, there are some things that come out and you are so useful, are so necessary, get, get on board straight away. There are other things where, you know, you need to say either as a business or, or as a person, um, let's work out how we apply this and, and go there. So, so I'm definitely not a technophobe, 
you know, I definitely uh, believe in the, in the in the tech world. Um, uh, but on the other hand, I do think that uh, you know, make your choices. Sometimes get it. You know, some things are so obvious to some people. Uh, you know, you think about the fitness trackers, uh, smartwatches, this kind of thing. Some things, uh, you know, enable people to do things they couldn't otherwise do. The whole you know, smartphone and and everything that's happened with that, uh, you know, why wouldn't you want that straight away? Why wouldn't you want that capability? Um, but obviously, at the end of the day, when we as an industry bring things out, it's got to have a positive, purposeful reason. Yeah, that, that's so what I push you for a one to ten. One being faux, ten being full on geek. I think Where I'm seven. You... I think I'm seven, seven or eight. A solid, eight. solid seven. Eight. Okay. Give me seven. Yeah, seven, okay. seven. seven. Yeah, if right. I ask for eight, you'll probably ask what 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 what, what PC I'm doing this on, and yeah. what photo card you'll you'll reveal me. I won't pry <laughs> any further. I won't pry any further. Julian David, Chief Executive of Tech UK. Thank you very much for joining me on this episode of the Digital Society Podcast. It's been great. Um, I've been called the Ranger. I'm SVP for uh, marketing, strategy and communication at Atos in Northern Europe and APAC. And please do join me again for another episode soon. Thanks, Colby. It's been great. To learn more about the podcast or to suggest topics or guests for future episodes, please contact us at digitalsociety at atos.net or visit the Atos website.